through that. All right, Hebrews chapter number 13 in your Bibles this evening. Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, Let's see, we are down to the last chapter in the book of Hebrews. We've been going verse by verse through the book from Hebrews 1.1. This will be about a year and a half uh, long process to go verse by verse through the book. And we're looking to finish up Hebrews 13 by about the end of the calendar year. And I've got some, uh, something really excited for 2021. We'll be announcing for Wednesday evenings, um, we'll be going over uh, another book of the Bible. I'm excited about that, but we'll be announcing that in the weeks here to come. Hebrews 13, we're in the last chapter. We're going to begin in the first verse. Once you've found that, if, you would, if you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from verse 1 down through verse number 8, and that will be our text uh, this evening. We'll be looking at great detail. The Bible says, Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose Faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 8 might be the one we all are most familiar with, and we're going to get to that truth about Jesus being the same. But the title of the Bible study this evening is this, Let Brotherly Love Continue. Let Brotherly Love Continue. What an appropriate Bible study for us uh, to, to do Tonight, as a church family, we're commanded to love each other. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, our theme this year, as you know, Lord, and have led us to have, is love works. And Lord, we've spent a lot of time this year talking about loving the brethren, loving each other at church, loving each other in Christ. And uh, Lord, uh, tonight, as we continue to circle back around and look at this truth, but yet from a different angle, help us, Lord, all to be reminded of a very vital thing. And, uh, Lord, um, may all of us leave here tonight committed to um, the process of caring one for another. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, Paul has, uh, or rather, my opinion, I'll say up front, I believe the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but God did not have Paul put his name down when it came to this book. The author of the book of Hebrews has taken... Uh, 12 chapters to write to the Jews in the church era and tell them, get your eyes off of your religious traditions and put your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ because that is what matters. I want to take a moment here and address uh, an angle of this. I don't know that I've addressed yet, but boy, I believe it fits properly. You know, there are all sorts of different types of church cultures out there. And, uh, uh, you know, there are different people that worship the Lord in different ways. Um, 
back in 2009, I was hired at the Granite Baptist Church in Glen Burnie, Maryland to be the church's Spanish pastor. My wife is from Peru, South America, and uh, when we got married, um, uh, she spoke both English and Spanish, but I really didn't speak much Spanish, and I began to learn Spanish actually under the ministry of Pastor Pedro Morales, and I got to the place where I could open and close a service in Spanish, but I couldn't really speak in it, and then um, uh, the pastor of that church hired me with the understanding that I would learn the language on the job and preach through a translator, and boy, I have to tell you that I was in for a little bit of a learning curve when it came to not only the Spanish language, but the Spanish culture. Now, when you pastor a Spanish church in America, you're not just pastoring Spanish folks from Mexico or from uh, Dominican Republic. You're pastoring people who speak Spanish from an array of countries, and they all bring their own culture in. Furthermore, you have folks coming into your church uh, who are uh, Spanish, and some of them come from a Catholic background, and they're used to things being uh, very stoic and somber and serious. And then you have uh, Spanish folk coming in from a Pentecostal background. And boy, they want to stand up and raise their hands and clap during the singing and jump up and down and maybe even run the aisles. I remember the very first Sunday I was the Spanish pastor. Juanita and Domingo uh, were um, uh, former Pentecostals and they were there in the service. And I'm standing there, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm leading a church service for the first time in Spanish. Boy, I practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and I got up there and I began to lead the, the, the service in prayer, and Juanita and Domingo from their uh, Pentecostal background, they put their hands in the air, and they started to pray very loud over the top of me, and boy, it just threw me off. I, I, I couldn't even finish my prayer. It was so uh, uh, hard on me, and, and I was so upset with that couple, uh, that, but years later, I would end up marrying the two of them. But uh, listen, uh, which culture is best? Is there a church culture that is better than another church culture? You know, you go to a, an all-black church. We have several black people in the room tonight. You go to an all-black church, and my wife and I went to on our honeymoon, and boy, the praise is real. The praise is real. You know, uh, you go to a black church, they're jumping up and down, they're doing backflips in the aisle, that praise is real. You go to a white church and they're jumping up and down doing backflips in the aisles, that's a cult. You stay away, amen? Um, uh, but, uh, you know, it, 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 culture, church cultures can be different. And church cultures are, are no, there's not one that's better than the other. It's not about culture, it's about, watch this now, it's about Christ. Does the church make a big deal about the Lord Jesus Christ being the one and only way, being the one and only truth, and being the one and only life? You look in the book of Acts and you find the church of Antioch. And what you find in the church of Antioch is what I will call a multicultural church. People from all different backgrounds and countries and creeds and languages. Boy, they got saved and they came together and they worshipped the Lord together. Uh, now watch this. There are some church cultures that worship someone other or something other than Christ. Boy, maybe they bow down to statues and idols. Maybe they're all about their traditions and their rituals and uh, repeating things in a certain order and uh, um, uh, 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 Hail Mary and all that uh, type of thing. And uh, maybe uh, they're all about the emotionalism of a 
feeling at the church. And that's more important than the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just have to say, uh, by way of introduction here this evening, is that it does not matter your background. It does not matter your culture. It does not matter your color. It does not matter your wealth class. What matters is, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Is He first and foremost? You know, uh, the truth is, if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ, I wouldn't know a single one of you tonight. The only reason why I know any of you, the only reason why I live in Connecticut, is because the Lord Jesus Christ saved my soul, and He called me to move up here uh, to pastor this church. And uh, uh, there are some of you that outside of the four walls of this church, we have, uh, culturally, we have very little in common. But we come together here at this place and we can worship the Lord together because it's all about Jesus. And you know, Paul, as he wrote the book of Hebrews, or whoever it was that wrote the book of Hebrews, what they were saying is, take your eyes off everything that isn't the Lord Jesus Christ and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he gets down to Hebrews chapter 13 and here we find from verse 1 through verse 8, some instruction on how to get along. How to get along. I have two points tonight, and um, the outline is going to be quite a bit different. We're going to handle it quite a bit different than normal. I'm going to give you point one, and then I'm going to give you point two, and then I'm going to give you sub-points. Um, we're going to bounce back and forth with the sub-points here, okay? So let's jump in tonight and go verse by verse through Hebrews 13 and talk about letting brotherly love continue. Number one, notice how we are to love. How we are to love. Uh, these eight verses explain to us how it is that we are to love one another. Uh, I've talked about this all year long, but uh, uh, what most of us call love is not biblical love. What most of us call love really qualifies as lust. As lust. You hear someone say, oh, I love ice cream. I love pizza. I love my car. I love my house. Uh, I love my girlfriend. I love uh, my uh, fill-in-the-blank. You know, uh, what oftentimes that is is not love. It's a want. It's a desire. It's, it's a fleshly longing for that does not fit in line with Scripture. It's a four-letter word that begins with the letter L, but it is not love. It's lust. And so Hebrews 13 is going to say, this is, the, this is the tuning fork. This is what you set your musical instrument to when it comes to learning how to love. Hebrews 13, 1 through 8, uh, lays out for us how it is we are to love. We're to take our preconceived ideas and set them over to the side, and we're to look at the Bible, and we're to get in line with God's definition of love. So, how we are to love. And then, point number two of the sermon this evening is who we are to love. So, not just how we are to love, but who we are to love. And so, we'll see how these two fit in correlation one with the other. Letter A, under point number one, notice how we are to love. We are to love with continuance. With continuance. Look down with me at Hebrews chapter 13, verse number one. The Bible says, let brotherly love continue. Now, um, back to geometry class in high school, uh, there was a uh, various forms of a line, right? You'd have 
a line that had a dot on one end and an arrow on the other. You'd have another line that had two dots signifying a beginning and an end. And then you'd have a line that had two arrows on both ends. And uh, listen, there was a point where you became a, a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight and you are saved, you're on the way to heaven. There was a day you put your faith and trust in Jesus. You became part of the brotherhood in Christ. And uh, God does not see anything other than His children on earth. And that's what He cares about, are His children. If you are a child of God, then I am your brother and you are my brother or my sister. And we are commanded to love with continuance. You know what that means? That means that our love is not conditional. Our love is unconditional. Hey, I am to love you, and you are to love me, regardless of how we act. You all with me tonight? I know you're cold. Are you all okay? All right? We awake? I know you're awake, because you can't sleep in this room, as cold as it is, right? Uh, but you all okay? Maybe those at home are dozing off because they have a nice warm home. They're watching this on their uh, TV or iPad or, or telephone, whatever it be, cell phone there. Um, regardless of someone's behavior, my love should not be dependent on someone else's behavior. If after church tonight, the brother Reggie takes me outside, he's our arm wrestling champion from the men's uh, stake out there. Any of you guys think you're tough? you got to beat Reggie in an arm wrestling competition, okay? Uh, but um, uh, Reggie takes me out back tonight, and he, he gives me a big black eye, all right? He, um, he, he loses his school with me, let's just say, and he gives me a big black eye. You know what I'm commanded to do? I'm commanded to love him anyway. My love for Reggie and for everyone else who's saved should not be dependent on how they treat me. It should be dependent on the fact that God loves me, and I'm commanded to let brotherly love continue. That love is to continue. It is to go on and on and on and on. Why? Because that's how God loves me. God's love for me is not based on my behavior. God's love for me is always the same. So how are we to love with continuance? Who are we to love? Notice, uh, uh, notice uh, I believe, letter, uh, uh, rather, uh, number one, letter B, notice how we are to love. We are to love with consideration. With consideration. And who are we to love? We are to love, letter A, the strangers. The strangers. Look at verse number 2 of um, Hebrews chapter 13. It says there, Remember them that are in bonds, or rather, that's verse 3, verse 2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Um, I love this verse. I love the mystery of this verse. Entertain angels unawares. Do you think it's possible that an angel has ever been in your presence in the form of a human body and you just didn't even know it? Um, we're to love people that are strangers and we're to be hospitable or considerate toward them. I have one story I like to tell uh, that sounds like it's a story that's way out there. But uh, I'll go to the grave uh, knowing that this is true. If you told me this story, I would probably be skeptical, okay? But this is my incident where I believe I entertained an angel, and at the time I didn't know it, but afterwards I maybe realized it. When I was a 12 or 13-year-old boy, my father let me take his snapper push lawnmower around the neighborhood and cut lawns. And so uh, I, would, um, I was about two blocks away 
from my home, and I was using that lawnmower uh, to cut lawns, and a bolt snapped on that lawnmower, and that um, I could not use the lawnmower because it was holding the handle together I was using to push that lawnmower. And um, uh, I went into the garage of the person whose lawn I was cutting with their permission, and I found a bolt that, would, that was the right width, but it was too long to go uh, into that spot. Just the way it worked, I needed it to be a shorter bolt, and it was the only bolt I could find. And so I'm out there on a hot summer day in Mississippi, and I'm trying to get this bolt uh, in there. And out of nowhere, this big, tall black man walked up to me, and he said, Young fella, are you okay? And I said, I just can't get this bolt to work, and I can't cut this lawn. And I was very frustrated, and he said, Give me that bolt. And I handed him this bolt. And this is the part that's hard to believe. And my jaw gaped open when he did it. He took that bolt and he snapped it in half with two hands. And then he stuck it in there. And he put the, he put the back end of that on there, the nut on there. And he walked away around the corner and behind a bush. And I went after him to thank him. And when I got back there, he was gone. And the hair on the back of my neck stood up then, and it's standing up now. And then I was in church a few weeks later, and someone read this verse, and I thought, that man was an angel. God sent an angel to help me. Sent an angel to help me. You know, I would hate to get to heaven and have an angel walk up and tap me on the shoulder one day and say, you know, God sent me down to help you, and I took on the form of a person, and I came around to help you, but you were rude to me, man. You just weren't very nice. You know, the word here for us is the word hospitable. We are to have a hospitable spirit. We're to be helpful and loving and caring to people that we don't even know. People we don't even know. Take your Bible over to Exodus chapter 22 and verse number 21. Exodus chapter number 22, if you have your Bible there. Exodus chapter number 22 and verse number 21. It says there, Thou shalt neither vex a stranger, nor oppress him. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. You know, as a Christian, I meet someone who I don't believe is saved. And I am to remember the days that I, weren't, I wasn't saved. And boy, someone loved on me when I wasn't saved and cared for me. And I am to go out of my way to be extra caring and extra loving. How about Matthew chapter 25 and verse 35? Matthew chapter 25, we hear Jesus here giving some instructions uh, to uh, uh, some folks. And he has some pretty uh, strong words for them here. Matthew 25 verse 35, uh, the Bible, Jesus is speaking here. He says, For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. You know, we, um, we're raising kids today to say, stranger danger, stranger danger, I can't talk to a stranger, I can't talk to a stranger, ooh, you're someone I don't know, stay away. Listen, when I grew up, we didn't treat strangers that way. We were careful, uh, but as long as we were in a group and we felt that uh, we were out in public, we could talk to a stranger. And uh, listen, uh, God ought to work in your heart that when you see someone else in need, whether you know them or not, you love on them, you care for them, you help them. A, a, a couple of months back, I was going down River Road here, 
uh, over by uh, just past Sikorsky, and there was a car broken down on the side of the road. And I uh, passed by the car, and something inside of me said, boy, you need to go back and, and help uh, that person. And uh, inside of me, I thought, but I'm busy. I've got places to go. And again, that voice, I believe the Spirit of God, came back and said, no, no, you need to go back and help that person. And so I spun my car around and made a couple of U-turns and parked behind the person. And it was a Spanish woman who spoke no English, who uh, was standing by her car and it broke down. And right after I pulled up behind her, another man uh, who was a white a collar type employee driving a very high-end luxury car. He pulled in behind and he got out. And this man was clearly unchurched and I even had a chance to talk to him afterwards. He was not saved. But the two of us were able to push this woman's car off of the road and into a parking lot and were able to help get her situated. And I remember as I was walking back to my car uh, with this gentleman and we were talking and I had a chance to invite him to church and even talk to him about the gospel for just a moment. I remember this thought coming across my mind. I should never let someone who is not saved be more hospitable than me who is saved. Let's not be so calloused and cold toward people who are complete strangers. How we are to love. We are to love the strangers and we are to love them with strong consideration. Notice next uh, how we are to love. We are to love with compassion. With compassion. Who we are to love. We are to love the suffering. The suffering. Look, look back with me at Hebrews chapter 13 and look at verse number 3. Notice there it says, Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Remember them, as, uh, the, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. Hey, you know someone who is... Suffering. You know someone who is hurting. Uh, boy, you're to bear that burden with them as though you're going through that trial as well. When was the last time that someone you knew that was really hurting, that that pain from their heart seeped into your heart and you hurt right along with them? Boy, you shared a tear with them. You wept with them. They're in that adversity. Turn over to uh, Galatians chapter uh, number uh, 6. Galatians 6. And I have added some verses after I gave my outline uh, to the media team. And so if you're at home, you may want to grab a Bible and have that handy. Uh, many of the rest of the verses we'll cover tonight will not be on the screen there for you at home. Galatians chapter number 6. And look at verse number 1. You know, that adversity comes from many different fronts. Look at verse 1, and we'll see what some of those fronts are. The Bible says, Brethren, if a man be, verse 1, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. See the compassion there. Considering thyself, lest thou be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Can you see the compassion, the, the restoring in a spirit of meekness, the bearing someone's burden? You're helping them shoulder that load. Verse 3, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, 
he deceiveth himself. Don't you ever, 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 ever go to someone who is struggling with sin, who's taken up in the adversity of their own sin, and think that you're better than them. It doesn't matter what sin they're caught up in. Listen, but for the grace of God, there go I. But for the grace of God, there go you. If it wasn't for the grace of God, uh, any one of us could have committed or be living in any sinful lifestyle. And we need to have compassion and care for those who are called up in the adversity of their own sin. We need to come alongside of them with the spirit of meekness and help them bear that burden and help uh, uh, fulfill the law of Christ. But how about when you come along the side of someone who is suffering because they're going through a relationship struggle? Um, uh, I know a handful of people in my life right now that are either going through a divorce or are still reeling from um, a divorce that happened in the past, or maybe they have a a husband or wife who's passed away, or a child that's passed away, and their heart is heavy, and they're relationally suffering. And God says, you are to love the brethren. It says, let brotherly love continue. How are we going to let that brotherly love continue? continue, well, we're going to show uh, consideration to the strangers. We're going to show compassion to the suffering. How else are we going to allow brotherly love continue? Notice how we are to love with chastity, with purity, with chastity. And notice we are to love our spouses, our spouses. Look down at verse number 4 of Hebrews chapter 13. Again, line upon line. Precept upon precept, we're covering the verses of the Bible. Look here. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. I've heard people say, well, where is the idea of sex being between uh, man and woman in the confines of marriage? Where is that in the Bible? And the answer is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Uh, unabashedly, we preach the Bible here. Now, we're not mean about it, but we stand where God stands. And uh, uh, listen here, uh, all sexual activity outside the confines of a marriage, and a marriage is, uh, by God's definition, one man and one woman for life. Uh, any sexual activity outside of a, 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 a male-female marriage, uh, uh, any sexual activity outside of that is sin. But watch this now. Any and all sexual activity between a husband and wife within marriage is is completely righteous. It is righteous. And uh, boy, there's so many directions I could take this and so many things I could say. But just quickly let me say here that purity is not something that we do up until our wedding day. Purity is something that we commit to through the wedding altar. It's not just to the wedding altar, it's through the wedding altar. And God calls husbands and wives, men and women, married and single, to chastity, to purity, to a life where we honor and respect uh, that gift that God gave mankind. Uh, and that gift is sex. That is something that God has given us to have within the confines of marriage. Now, I grew up in a home where my dad really did not like to talk about the birds and the bees. He did not enjoy talking about the facts of life. 
I remember we were in a in the Turtle Creek Mall in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. He was buying a pair of shoes, and uh, he was talking to the sales clerk there who sold him the shoes. And uh, the topic came up about adultery in a marriage or something. And I remember we were walking out through one of the department stores, and I was by myself with my dad, and I asked him what adultery was, and. Uh, that made him get real nervous, and I remember we got in the car, and just the two of us, and he launches into this conversation about what the birds and the bees are, and man, I was so um, uh, nervous and uncomfortable, it was not enjoyable, and outside of that, my dad never talked to me about it again, and I was glad, because that didn't go well, okay, uh, but uh, didn't talk to me about it again. And, I, and, you know, it was sort of taboo in our house. But let me tell you, the, the, the side effect of that was that I was left to feel as though that something was just wrong with that. And the truth is, there's nothing wrong with it. You know what sin is? Sin is right done at the wrong time. Sin is right done with the wrong person. Sin is right done out of order. And if you are in a marriage, then that act is meant to protect, it's meant to procreate, uh, it's meant uh, to, it's meant for pleasure, it's meant to symbolize the love, the strong love that God has for His church. But watch this now, if you're not married, it's off limits and it's out of bounds. I look at America and really the Western culture at large. And I believe that I could fix the majority of the problems if I could change one thing. If I could take sex and put it back inside of marriage and have it left there for good, I think most of our problems would just go away. Now it's quiet in here tonight. Y'all are being really quiet on me. Look at all of the lewdness and the nudity and the pornography. Have you ever noticed that they use a loose, loosely dressed, provocative woman to sell the dumbest things? What does a sensually behaved woman have to do with insurance? Or, you know, a hamburger? Parties used to have a commercial out with a woman wearing almost nothing, eating a, a hamburger. What does that have to do with buying a hamburger? Look at all of the children that are born outside of wedlock. And by the way, if you were born outside of wedlock, I'm not picking on anybody tonight. I'm more talking about a problem in our society at large. And if you want to fix the, the, the children and even many adults today, then you need to get a father back involved in their lives. And fathers are disappearing off the map left and right. And even the men that are left at home are either too busy at work to be the father they ought to be, or they've been so effeminized by the culture at large that they just sit by the wayside and let the wife run the home. And we need men to stand up and be men. Boy, we'd sure fix a whole lot of problems if we could just follow God's plan. Let me ask you a question this evening. Are you pure? Are your eyes pure? There are plenty of men who are married and they sleep around on their wife. 
plenty of women who are married who sleep around on their, on her, on their husband. That does not please the Lord. The Bible says in verse 4, whoremongers, that's someone who is addicted to sexual sins, and adulterers, that's someone who is married and fooling around, that's extramarital sex. The Bible says God will judge. God will judge. Now, I'm going to just say this and we'll move on from verse 4. Me preaching against sexual sin is not me judging you. That's just me preaching the Bible. I am not anyone's judge. God is the judge. Now, there are some areas in my life where I hold authority, where I am to judge in the place of God, but God is the ultimate judge. If you're caught up in this sin, boy, you need to repent and turn, because otherwise you're going to live under the hand of a God who judge you, judges you. We are to love our spouses. We're to do that with consideration. Notice also, we are to love our spouses with contentment. With contentment. Look down at verse number 5 of Hebrews chapter 13. The Bible says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Now, in this verse, this verse gets quoted a lot. I use it a lot. Um, and, I, and I love this verse. There's a lot here. Uh, there's the truth about contentment, which we'll cover here in just a moment. There's the truth about eternal security, how that once you get saved, you can't lose your salvation because God has said He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, there's the truth that because I am secure in Christ, I should find my commitment in that. But let's keep verse 5 in context. Verse 5 is talking about loving the brethren. Verse 5 in context is talking about loving our spouses. Verse 5 follows right on the heels of marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Can I tell you what will make a whole lot of marriages uh, at White Oak Baptist Church a whole lot happier? What will make a whole lot of marriages a whole lot happier is if we would get covetousness out of our marriages. Boy, we chase this and we chase that and we chase this and we chase that and we don't have time to be married. There are times where at, in my marriage, Angela and I have been so busy that we get to the end of the day and it's time to go to bed and we're both asleep in seconds. And you know what? That happens. But can I tell you, for some people, that's their life. It's neck break speed all day, every day. Uh, And I would just ask you this question. Do you really need to live in a house that requires two full-time jobs to pay it off? Do you really need um, uh, uh, to to work uh, so many jobs that require you to drive the the level of cars and have the, the nicety of things that you have? God has called Christians to live simple lifestyles. And I believe that if Christians would go back to living more of a simple lifestyle when it comes to material goods, boy, we would have a whole lot more time to be happily married. We are to love with contentment. We are not to love with covetousness. One more here. We are to love our spouse with courage. With courage. Look at verse number 6. Again, notice the relationships that are stated. The stranger is talked about in verse 3. Um, uh, the those who are suffering is talked rather verse two. Those who are suffering are talked about in verse three. Uh, spouses are talked about in verse four, and then the thought about spouses continues down through verse number six. It says here, so that we may boldly say, "The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me." You know, um, 
uh, a lot of us need that courage. The Lord is my helper. Let me say this to you tonight. Those of you that are in here tonight that are married or one day wish to be married. The Lord needs to be at the center of your marriage. The Lord must be at the center of your marriage. Uh, I saw an illustration one time that is very simple but very powerful. Um, Marriage is not two in one, it's three in one. It's not just a husband and a wife, it's husband, wife, and God. Now watch this, God's up here, and we're down here, husband and wife. And we sometimes can feel apart from our spouse. But if the Lord is our helper, and by courage we're drawing closer to Him, then we're drawing closer to each other. You see that? You see that? As I feel distant from my wife, it could be that my wife is right by the Lord, but I've wandered. How do I fix that? I draw nigh to God. It'd be a happy day if the two of you would just have the courage to let the Lord be your helper. Um, uh, Sometimes people come to me for marital counseling, and I enjoy giving it, and I love helping people with that. But can I tell you uh, that the ultimate counselor for your marriage ought to be the Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to be the Word of God. We're to love our spouses with courage. Sometimes when we love our spouses with courage, we have to say and do things that are not easy, but they're right. They're right. All right, let's move on here and next notice letter D, who we are to love. We are to love our shepherd. We are to love our shepherd. And notice with consideration. This is a very awkward point for me to preach, but we're going through the Bible line upon line, precept upon precept. Look at verse number 7. Uh, the Bible, again, is talking here to these Jewish Christians, no doubt, that had a pastor in a church. It says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation or of their lifestyle. We're to have consideration toward our shepherd. Now you would say, well, pastor, what is it that you, how is it that we could love you? You're our pastor, you're our shepherd. How is it that we could love you? Um, You know, the way that I would love for the church here to love me is not by giving me some really nice expensive car or giving me some gigantic pay raise. I'm not looking for materialistic items and goods out of anyone in this church. I've never asked for a raise. I never plan on asking for a raise. I've never asked anyone to buy me a car. Someone did a couple of years ago, uh, but I didn't ask for it. In fact, I initially rejected it, and, and then uh, through time it ended up coming about and happening anyway. But I'm not. that's not how you uh, love on your pastor. You don't love your pastor by giving him things. You love on your pastor by listening to the Word of God that's preached, and you go forth and you try to live it. You know what makes the pastor feel loved? What makes the pastor feel loved is when there's a spirit of unity in the church. This, this lady down here that I'm married to will tell you that the number one thing that keeps me awake at night is when there's disunity in the church. When I know that some of you aren't getting along with each other, I lay in bed at night and can't sleep. You know, there have been times in my pastorate, the four and a half years I've been here, where we've been really tight on money. 
I remember one time a couple of years ago where I was looking at the finances and wondering if I was going to have to forego a paycheck in order for everyone else to get paid. Now, I ended up not needing to do that, but uh, it was getting to a place where we had another low offering or two. Uh, that was a sacrifice that the Luzerns were going to have to make. Now, praise God, the church is in a much, much better financial spot now. But you know what? I didn't lose one week of sleep over that. Brother Owens is the treasurer, and uh, you can ask him on the side if you'd like. You're more encouraged to, but he'll tell you, and he's told me to my face, you just never really seem to be stressed about money. You know what stresses me out is not money. It's when there's disunity and infighting in the church. Boy, you want to be considerate toward the shepherd when you have a problem with someone at the church. Either go to them directly and work through it, or get on your knees and pray for them, but do not Run your mouth and gossip to other people. That is a sin out of the pit of hell. How can you say that you love somebody and then go run your mouth about them? Well, you need to pray for such and such and such because, you know, this, that, or the other. Or, boy, you know, I think Pastor, our brother such and such really needs some prayer because, you know, he's got this concern and that concern. Boy, could you pray for me? Brother such and such or sister such and such said this to me. And, and, you know, I'm just really offended and I'm really hurt. And I need you to pray that I can get over that. You know what that is? That's spiritual talk that is masking gossip. You want to love me? Stop gossiping. You want to love me? Behave yourself on social media. You want to love me? Don't Facebook or tweet anything even vague or vaguely that would be an attack on anyone in this church. I'm going to tell you right now. If I know that one of the sheep of White Oak Baptist Church is biting another one of the sheep of White Oak Baptist Church, it hurts me just as much as if you were biting me. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that! Can I, can I need to say it any louder. Amen. Unity. And the other thing here is that you do your best to model what's preached. Boy, when I get up and I, I pour my heart and my soul into studying the Bible, to bring a Bible study like this, the sermons three times a week, and you know, um, the truth is, after a while, the pastor's voice can begin to grow a little tired. You get used to his style, you know, you get used to his cadence and his rhythm and the flow, and you begin to think, yeah, okay, another sermon by Pastor Lejeune. You know, boy, I sure wish he'd cut it down by about 15 minutes. He's a good preacher, but, you know, um, yeah, you know, he's harped on that before. He's beat that horse before. You know, what would really help is that if you would come in each service with your heart prepared to let God's Word move you. Not me. Not me. You know what my duty is as a preacher Watch this now. My duty is to take the truths off the pages of this book and get them to be lived in your lives. That's my duty. My duty is to take it from here and get it out there. Not just in one ear and out the other, but in your ear and down into your heart and out into your life. Look back at verse number 7 again. Remember them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God whose faith follow. Model your faith after the pastor's faith, considering the end of their lifestyle. 
Boy, if you see something in me that would help you be more like Christ, don't buck from it, follow it. And you say, well, Pastor, that's pretty powerful for you to say. No more than it was for Paul who said in Scripture, you follow me as I follow Christ. What was Paul saying? Where I'm following Christ, follow me. Where I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. Because at the end of the day, it's about following Christ, not a man. If you see something in me as your pastor that you can say, boy, that's Christ-like right there. I want that in my life. Then, boy, get in line and let's go follow the Lord. Who, who are we to love? We're to love the shepherd, the pastor. How are we to love him? Well, with consideration. Let's finish up the Bible study tonight. Uh, uh, how are we to love with confidence? Who are we to love? We're to love our Savior. Our Savior. Look at verse number 8. Jesus Christ. He's the shepherd. He's the ultimate shepherd. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you glad that Jesus never changes? He never changes. He is the one that we are to love. Uh, How many of you here have ever been through an earthquake? Would you raise your hand if you've ever been through an earthquake where you could feel it below you? All right, how many of you have been through one? Okay, just a few of you. Uh, when we lived in Maryland, I was sitting in my, behind my desk, and I saw my candle on my desk begin to shake, and the water in my cup begin to shake. Boy, that was unnerving. That was unnerving. The, the earthquake happened down in Virginia, but the tremors were felt up in Maryland where we lived at the time. And I've never been through a major earthquake, but you know, I can only imagine what that would be like to you know, fall out of a bed. Angela and I were in Peru a couple of years ago, and Angela woke up in the middle of the night because there was a, an earthquake happening. And she, she, said, uh, 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 she said, Richard, wake up, there's an earthquake. And I said, no, there's not. Leave me alone. Go back to sleep. And sure enough, there had been an earthquake. We went downstairs the next morning in the church building, and uh, the chairs that had been set up for church were all over the place. Some of them had even fallen over. The earthquake was pretty intense. You know, um, uh, there, there is just a truth that, that there, there can be an earthquake of change that happens in our life. How many of you have been here, were here, when Pastor Brown was the pastor? You know, there was a, a change in the church when Pastor Peslak came along. How many of you were here when Pastor Peslak was the pastor? There was a change when Pastor Lejeune came along. Different men bring different ministry philosophies and styles, but the same Word of God and the same doctrine. How many of you here uh, have ever had to change jobs? You know what it's like to change jobs. That's not fun, is it? There's that transition. There's that change. And you know what? The one thing that never changes in our life is that Jesus Christ is the same day after day after day. When you feel rattled, when you feel shaken, when you feel uh, uh, less than confident, when you're afraid and don't know where to go, you can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's that rock under your feet that no earthquake can shake. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I closed my Bible yesterday and I put my head down on my desk. And I, I said to the Lord in prayer, I said, Lord... The people that attend this church are not mine, they're yours. I said, Lord, this church is not mine, it's yours. Lord, it's not my duty to grow the church, it's your duty to grow the church. Lord, you've got this, because you're the same always. For you, that prayer might look a little bit different, depending on where you are in life. But commit it to the Lord and find confidence in Him. Let's stand together.
and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. I'm glad you were here tonight. I hope the Bible study was a help to you. Next week, uh, we'll uh, pick back up in verse 8 and uh, look at that in light of uh, making sure that we avoid false doctrines. And so that will be next Wednesday night's Bible study. I hope this one was a help to you. I hope that um, you've been challenged to go forth and love the brethren. Amen? And let that brotherly love go uninterrupted. Let it continue. Let's be dismissed with a word of prayer tonight and ask God's hand a blessing on us.